when I started thinking about the human as an orchestra, I started thinking, you know, there is a, a very special trait to the human. And it's more like we have the ability in what we assemble as, as the whole of us or the orchestra of us, we have the ability to react spontaneously. So it's like the notes on that score are morphing as you're watching and you're able to then put together out of the intelligence in you something that responds to that and even more than that throughout history the great questions have been asked and great research has been undertaken always expanding the territory of the known by shining a light into the unknown where is that cutting edge today and can a community of people from all over the world each carrying their own unique journey of discovery, come together to inquire at the edge of purposeful evolution through conversation. At Portals of Perception, we think it is possible, and we hope that you will choose to be a part of this exploration. We see it amongst a group of people all the time. One person is shy, while another loves to be the center of attention. One person is intellectual, while another is more emotional. We see the nerdy, the geeky types, and we see the athletically proficient. But what we don't always see is that we have all of these character types within us. And depending on many factors of our life thus far, some of them get more outplay than others. So the artist, the caregiver, the friend, the parent, these are all part of the collective instrumentation of human life and its possibilities. Join Aviv Shahar and a septet of others in the discovery of the human orchestra. Welcome to Portals of Perception, where we skate to the edge of what we know, to discover and appreciate a new what's arising in the human experience. Today, in this first in a series of conversations, of contemplative, collective explorations, all within the portal of becoming human. Today we are exploring the idea of discovering the human orchestra. And we sense into the significance of what that means, that we are not just one thing, but many things in one. And we thread into it from the interior experience to the exterior experience in the philosophical and the metaphysical and the spiritual all the way to the practical and the relational. And we weave those experiences as part of an experiment of discovering how we sense into this prospect and possibility today. So... Let me start by asking you what comes alive for you when you hear the words human orchestra, specifically discovering the human orchestra. Well, I couldn't not respond because what happened when I read the title of this conversation was I literally felt everything in me come alive with this joyous excitement 
And it was very actually physically feelable. And I thought, wow, is that my orchestra responding to something that they find promoting something that they love, something that they feel harmonious with? And um, I've actually been thinking about the cells and how differently the cells will respond when we are with something that we absolutely love to, let's say, if we're having to deal with something that we find distasteful or distressing. So it's actually got me observing myself in a very different way, a bit like being backstage listening to an orchestra practicing, which is quite exciting. So now doubly so, both Aviv and Rita remarking on cellular formation as part of the entry into the subject. Just last night, I was looking at the order of magnitude comparing things of size. And it happens to be that a virus is the smallest form of life, kind of even right on the edge. And the human is seven magnitudes larger. So when you're talking of trillions of cells, the attempt in what I was reading was to go, well, if you take a virus and you multiply it set 10 times, and then you multiply it 10 times in size again, and 10 times in size again, seven times, then you get the size of the human. And curiously, if you then take the human and magnify it 10 times, and then 10 times, and sevenfold again, you get about the size of a planet one of the gas giants. And I'm struck by, at that very minuscule level, there's a fine and elegant orientation of particles with one another. And then at the human level, there's a fine and elegant orientation and interaction within us. And then you go to the next magnitude larger or the next level at planets. And again, so I feel as though we are an orchestra within a larger orchestra. Hello, I could jump in here. Please. I have to say, Aviv, I had a lot of fun with this. But when I started thinking about the human as an orchestra, so, because when you picture an orchestra, a real orchestra, you have big instruments, you have small instruments, and you have every sort of kind of sound imaginable coming together somehow, and they play a symphony. And so I started looking at myself and I said, okay, if I'm an orchestra, what is in this orchestra? So I have a brain, I have a spirit, I have a soul, I have feelings, I have a family, I have memories, I have a history. So I started thinking about all of the things that comprise sort of my life that in a sense have their own little lives and they take a lot of time and consideration. And all of these things coming together could be seen as an orchestra. And then I had to write really fast. I had to look at, well, orchestras, how do they play together? They have a conductor. And so I started thinking right away, okay, so what or who is conducting this orchestra of Patrick? At any given moment, is there a conductor? Is there something or someone <laughs> trying to bring order to all these different parts of me? so that they can actually be coherent and make some kind of a, uh, a coherent noise. And then if you go a little bit beyond that, so you have orchestras and conductors, 
And what orchestras do is they bring life to a symphony. And so orchestras need something to play. Otherwise, they're just all these parts sitting there sort of waiting for something to do. So I really started thinking about symphonies. And what is a symphony? If you are a human orchestra, you know, what is the symphony in your life that you want to follow and give expression to and really bring to life? And I guess I started thinking about, well, what is a symphony? And if you're a person, would a symphony, is one way of looking at that being, if you have a purpose in your life, you've chosen a particular path or a particular purpose, could that then be thought of as the symphony that you are trying to give life to, right? And give expression to and put in into the world. And how do you, where does the symphony come from? How do you listen for the symphony of what you want your life to do it to be? You know, who writes it? Where does it come from? How do you listen to the deeper parts of you to maybe find out what the symphony of this human orchestra is? And then where it really got a little bit fun is when I went back to the um, orchestra, I said, okay, so orchestras have, they have woodwinds, they have percussion, they have strings. So what are my, what are my strings? What's my percussion? Where are my woodwinds? What would they be? You know, my feelings, my feeling life, my emotion life. Is that the strings? And if you're trying to write a symphony, you have to have all of these different parts. So how do you start integrating your feeling life with your thinking and your energy and bring all these things together in a way that um, something can conduct what all this is? against the score and orchestra and actually make sense of it and actually bring something to life. So that was the kind of run I was thinking and all the visualization that was coming up when I was thinking about uh, the human orchestra. We are already playing here as an orchestra where the themes are intertwinings and, and weaving. Who wants to come on this next? I would like to take it up from where Patrick uh, left. And uh, it's interesting, Patrick, because I had a very similar uh, images, having myself uh, been a chorister in uh, live performances with very big symphonic orchestras and uh, choirs. So really, when you experience uh, this pandemonium that happens when the orchestra is playing full blast and you really feel the uniqueness of each instrument, playing together, you really realize the interplay and the importance and the value of every instrument in an orchestra. Also to say that an orchestra, a symphonic orchestra or philharmonic orchestra in the Western world is uh, usually employs about uh, 70 to 100 musicians. And um, what defines the melody or the, let's say, the essence of the orchestra is usually the string section. String section is comprised uh, with the violins, the first violins that play the main melody. So we can say that maybe this is, as you said, the purpose, the, the short-term or the long-term purpose, or the purpose that is evolving and is, uh, we are finding it on the way. Then there are the second violins that are playing a counter melody, also supporting in a way or framing the melody of the first violins. 
And maybe we could say that this is our choices and our ideas. Then there are the violas, which has a, a bigger violins. They have a bit lower pitch and they play a rhythmic uh, support to the melody. So we could say that this is um, the actions and the habits that support the purpose that we do. Then there is uh, the cellos. The cellos, they resemble very much the human voice and they have a very warm sound and uh, they are very expressive. So we can say that this is the feeling and emotions that give depth and color and dress the melody of a life, the purpose. And finally, behind, we have the bass, bass behind the cellos and they really have a bass, you know, Low, low tone that keeps the ground and that gives uh, support and substance. And it's like the line, let's say, it could be the line of our standards, of our set limits, of our decisions and principles that uphold our purpose. And what the conductor does, because I had the privilege to meet some very interesting conductors, very charismatic and, uh, you know, sometimes I rake them. <laughs> so being a chorister myself. So what I find out that the conductor really unites the ensemble and he gives um, the tempo and also he gives the, she, he, he shapes the sound of the ensemble. But a good conductor is not in the show. The good conductor is the one that really has effective rehearsals, is the one that strategizes what the musicians will learn and um, has a very specific um, targets that are achievable. And he's the one that really manages to take out from the musicians the artistic talent, the shared responsibility, the discipline, the technical efficiency, Basically, he engenders an ecology of trust and an ecology of inspiration and um, discipline also. So I was thinking, you know, what is the life in us? What is that life? Is it our soul? Is it our spirit? Basically, who are we? If we are many lives, who are we? Are we the musical scores? Are we the mosaic of uh, sounds, or are we what is left behind as an impact after the instruments have silenced? So let's see where we are. Rita got us started with the spontaneous registration at the cellular and the human experiential level of the sense of that we are an orchestra in the way you even experience the invitation to participate in this exploration. And then Bernie expanded us to the universe and beyond and the relative sizes of the virus and the human and planets and beyond. And then Patrick accelerated us into the registration of the many lives, the many parts of the orchestra, which Kiriakina builds with even higher levels of sophistication, one layer upon another layer upon another layer. So let me ask, because we are making here rapid leaps, and I want to ask still, 
the even more foundational question to bring additional angles to that question, which is number one, what is for you the evidence that the human is not a solo instrument, but rather a full orchestra when we've, we already have some very good answers to that, but we are interested in whatever additional answers we have. And secondly, why is it important? Why is it important to recognize that the human is an orchestra? In other words, how is this insight and awareness changing the way you treat yourself or your fellow humans when you recognize that the human is an orchestra? Please, who wants to, uh, Mona, you want to come on it next, please. I had thoughts that were echoed very much what everybody's been saying, but took a slightly different path into it. And I think some of that might address what you just brought up. So I was thinking as I was watching a movie the other day, I was a movie I had on and I, I noticed that I was really smiling and I started wondering what it was I was smiling at. So I started realizing that there was just a, a very simple theme of, of a kind of a, an innocence, you know, in the movie, like everything happened right no big bad consequences and not too much anchor in reality and everything worked out. So it was one of those warm, fuzzy, everything nice feeling kind of movies. And so I noticed myself smiling at it. And then I wondered what it was in me that was smiling at whatever it was in that movie. So I started to think from that aspect of there's something in me that recognizes something in the world around me and has a reaction to it. And from there, it started to build a couple different ways. And one is that I think in the discovery process, a human being really just needs to look at the different reactions that, that they have. You know, you go through life and, and you have a reaction to something you see, or you think a certain thing, or or you feel a certain way. And every single one of those pieces is something else, a part of you that has a response to the world around you. So right there and just looking at what it is your life is like as you go through during the day, it should tell you that there are a lot of things in there. There's, there's a lot of things happening. And I started thinking about what it was that I registered in, in that movie. And it was just this simple sense of kind of an innocence. And I thought, well, you know, it, it's making me smile. So what is it in the experience of life that makes such a difference between, you know, seeing a kind of a warm, fuzzy movie and experiencing life and doing something of value with life? And so I started thinking, well, as you grow up, as you go through life, you start to experience more. You gain awareness. You add that into the picture. You gain the ability to reason. You gain you know, memory and, and ways to balance things. You, you learn about what different feelings mean. You learn interactions with people. You accumulate history. And then I started to think, you know, really, that is very much like all of the different pieces that come together in an orchestra to then make a different, a more unified response or a response, a noise, <laughs> you know, active back, a reaction. And then I thought, well, you know, if you think about 
an orchestra, you have a lot of pieces there and they have a flat score in front of them. And it's like, there's all the elements of, of life happening already described already there written on the paper and your assembly as a musician plays that. So it's reactive in a way. It's, it's a reaction to something that's in front of you. And it's nice when all the pieces react together or react toward a good, a good result. And even if the composer were to change some notes, you still react to that and how you play the instrument. Even if the conductor was to wave his wand differently and emphasize a different section, you still are reacting to something. So when I started thinking about the human as an orchestra, I started thinking, you know, there is a, a very special trait to the human. And it's more like we have the ability in what we assemble as, as the whole of us or the orchestra of us, we have the ability to react spontaneously. So it's like the notes on that score are morphing as you're watching and you're able to then put together out of the intelligence in you, something that responds to that. And even more than that, you're able to then in how you respond you're able to influence what notes appear on that score. So there's something very special about the human orchestra. And so from there, it was into the importance aspect. And, and that importance aspect is a little bit like people were talking about the conductor inside. So when you abdicate that conductor role to only reacting to the outside, and the world changes as much as it changes, and you go through life, and you don't have that unifying conductor, then you get all the noises that the orchestra makes as like a chaotic din, and you don't have something that blends and changes and grows and can express, you know, green moving into yellow, into blue, and, you know, all of the fractal type of life we have without having taken um, your opportunity at life to, to grow to grow that conductor role inside so that you have a unifying principle towards something that, that you want your life to stand for. So I think the importance of, of seeing yourself as an orchestra, but seeing your role in a bigger sense really makes the difference in terms of, of a life that you know can hold together toward towards something that, you know, that fits your principles and your goals instead of dissemble into chaotic noise. I think that the two voices that are waiting to come in are the, the professional musician and the semi-professional musician. They waited patiently, so please. And it's, it's really curious because, Mona, you just touched on the colors because it's so curious that my first inroad to this wasn't at all musical or didn't kind of uh, draw on the direct sort of orchestral symphonic references, but really I had to go really simple at first because I, whenever I've thought about this fact that the human is not just one thing, there's this knowing about it and the knowing of the importance of, of knowing 
that there are many parts and the importance of knowing what I identify with. Um, but where it threw me had to do with being able to really recognize it and recognizing these lives inside that are slow and that are fast. The adventurer and the homebody. Like I just went on this whole path of trying to almost find these very opposing influences and maybe that links to the the whole thing about do I then identify with any one of them or do I simply recognize that they are there and who gets to decide in the moment? Um, and just perhaps a jump again from there to something to do with, in a way, almost this counterproductivity to the fact that the human is this amazing, capable, multifaceted, fermenting vessel in a way that what a shame it would be if it was identified and in a way taken down to being one thing it's like having this whole palette of colors and only one big brush and every time you dip it in the water of life and you run it across the colors all you get is brown <laughs> but there are all the colors and each of the colors also has perhaps a smoothness or a grittiness so Realizing that they are all there, all these different aspects allows you also to reach down into the toolbox and find the smaller tools that allow each of those to step out and do their job um, with great accuracy. And sometimes together, again, just what's needed to express or, or be with what that moment um, calls for or calls out of you. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it's a similar thing. My my mindset didn't really go to uh, the musical ref context of it. It went to the first of all the multiplicity contemplation, and the way that turned up was I was uh, working the other day on this project, and I was starting to get annoyed with myself because I kept on having to go back to the van to get some other tool or of pipe something fitting whatever and i was like god and i was starting to complain i thought oh man i got there's ten thousand moving parts with this project and I, I just can't seem to keep them all in my head and it's i was really getting aggravated and then i thought about the human orchestra and i said well it's not your job to keep it all in your head there's not another kind of contemplation that's not you have system, you have a multiple system as people have spoken about. And, and it does, and it's designed to actually handle a multiple situation. Me trying to handle the multiple situation is so it's not going to work so good now. And that's kind of what I was experiencing the other day. So one important feature, I think in this of um, why is it important? And I'll take something out of a uh, dog training. Evidently, uh, when a dog jumps up on you, it doesn't know who the alpha is. And because dogs, like other animals, are uh, pack creatures and they work together as a team when they know who is the alpha. And when they jump up on you, they're not sure. And so they don't know what their place is. And I see that in a way when something gets all mixed up, it turns, it gets sort of the brown color as Aud was mentioning. The other day, I think I left a wrench on a table or a sock or something 
And my wife said, is that you? And I said, no, it's a sock. It's not me. And I mean, how many times you get, you hear somebody say, oh, they're driving. And then they got bumped by somebody go, oh, they hit me. No, they hit your car. They didn't hit you. Or you read a article or something, or you say something stupid. And someone said, instead of saying, well, that's a stupid thing to say. They say, well, you are stupid. I say, no, I might say dumb stuff. That doesn't mean I'm dumb. And so what I see the importance of this is that it's kind of like learning A, as the captain of the ship, you don't go down into the boiler room and tell the boiler operator uh, what the pressure should be, what the steam pressure should be. All your job is to direct the thing. You can't, I mean, what did you say? 32 trillion cells for uh, an average weight man of 70 kilograms. I think it's about 154 pounds average. I mean, there's no way you're meant to, we're not meant to manage all that stuff. And uh, that's kind of where I'm like, where the importance, I think, of this contemplation is, is to, okay, learning how not to be such an annoying micromanager on the processes. So you are both leading us to this distinction in terms of those many parts, they do the work, what is it we choose to identify with, and do we choose to identify with how that orchestra, how that system shows up in the moment or with one, its, one of its parts. And what that brings me to is the recognition that why this is so important, because one of the most penalizing impositions of this conventional thinking that suggests that you are one thing, and that is often coupled with the thinking that the highest thing you can be is become you, which is, of course, a novel idea. It's a great idea. Nothing wrong with that. Just these, this logic presents itself with a double whammy. And double whammy in the sense of separating us, separating the human from the, the range, the broader range of what, become, what may become possible for human life. The first case is when I say to myself, or treat myself as though I am one bulk commodity, failing to realize what you all just said, the multiple inner lives, the multiple voices, the multiple speeds, the multiple inner hues and colors, that a life is the composite of all those things. And if I treat myself as a commodity, as one bulk commodity, I cut myself from the larger range. And I uh, fail to realize that those different parts you are describing, they each bring their energy and their vibrancy and their endurance and their intelligence. And that, oh, by the way, part of that orchestra, as some of you alluded to, is perhaps there is some kind of an orchestrating intelligence, call it a soul, call it whatever. There is that inner loom of intelligence. One way to think about a soul is perhaps as, a, as an orchestrating intelligence loop, and that, that it is accompanied by that other spark of consciousness, because that orchestration, orchestration that you're all describing and don't that you just focused on, it happens 
at an automatic level. You don't need to involve, as you said, your consciousness. But then so you have an, an orchestra that at one level runs at a robotic automated level. And then on top of that, you have that spark of consciousness, perhaps call it a spirit or call it consciousness, whatever you choose to call it. All of those are part of the compound composite that we each are. And if I say or treat myself as though I'm one thing, I'm cutting myself off from that range, that permission, that possibility. The second curse is this thinking that I alluded to at the beginning of, of I want to be me. I want to be famous. I want to be successful. I want to be rich. I want to be whatever, which is very much part of that postmodernity fallacy, so prime now, and there is nothing wrong with wanting to be oneself. Actually, it's a novel idea. It's rather a recent um, development for our species in, in the way we can think and sense into it today. But the problem is that it narrows again the range. And what we are proposing, uh, we're trying to sense with all your contemplations here, is the idea of becoming a human first and becoming yourself within that broader premise second rather than the other way around. Because if you begin with, I want to be me, I want to be my authentic voice, I want to, you cut yourself again prematurely from the broader discovery of what becoming a human can open to. Because ultimately what we can begin to sense through those different articulations you're offering to the human orchestra is that there is a permission for human life, there is a range available for human life, where rather than being all too worried about finding my voice, which is so important, I do want to find my voice, but can I first discover that a human can liberate a broader range of voices, and I then may be able to discover my voice within the broader range of permission that's available for me. So it's a distinction with a difference. The difference being opening versus closing, broadening versus narrowing, personalizing versus universalizing. So I'm interested if there is anything else that anybody is, is ready to offer because partly what I am in this still early inquiry, initial inquiry, searching for is the idea that when you begin to encompass and embrace the kind of thinking that you each offer from a different angle, you are each offering a pathway to transcend the myopic view of I'm one thing. And one thing we, we know from observing the, the human condition is that when we arrest ourselves in myopic view about who we are and about who everybody else is we tend to more often than not find ourselves on two polarizing ends of what we like and what we dislike. And part of the premise in the exploration is, ah, do I need to learn first to embrace my larger orchestral symphonic range as a prerequisite to allow me to see and recognize and appreciate the broader orchestra that's around me? So... So please, please, who wants to come on this or any other aspect of what we are exploring? I could try something here. I was very caught by the understanding that a lot of what we do physically and other levels of us 
um, is oftentimes automatic. So we don't have to bring our consciousness into thinking about every movement. I'm going to pick up this glass, therefore I have to stretch my right arm and do that because it happens for you. Thank goodness. But then I keep coming back to this. It's anything in our life can become an automatic sort of system or reaction. We go to work every day. We have a family life. At some point, if we're not careful, even the important things in our life become part of that automatic. It just goes on by itself without me thinking about it, without me bringing any extra value to what's happening. And so I guess I'm trying to wonder how at any given moment, I mean, a human can decide to do anything we want to do. We have choice. So how does a human decide what they want to do and how do they decide what is truly important in their life? And they don't want to be an automatic. They want to bring their awareness and their consciousness and actually have something more, have something deeper, bring a deeper value to whatever it is they decide to do, because it is a multiplicity. But there's a real danger sometimes, too. We realize it's a multiplicity and everything is coming at us in such a strong way. How do you know where to focus your attention? How do you decide what you want to do? And I guess it comes back to trying to figure out, so what is my mind, me, little me, what is my purpose in life? What do I want to do? And so it kind of comes down to how do you make a fundamental decision? What do I want to do with this life? that then helps you as you're going on, things that are automatic stay automatic. Things that are important kind of bring in and there's an opening for you to do something different and grow and expand and and realize all this multiplicity, what it can do. But I just, coming back to how does a person decide for themselves what they want to do with this amazing opportunity? Well, it's a fair inquiry because you could equally argue that for most people, they don't decide. That as you said, life is either an autopilot default option. And there again, there is a blessing in the idea that as as several of you, as, as you said, you don't depend on your mission critical life survival type processes on your choices. You can choose even not to wake up in the morning and stay in bed, but (laughs) your body will still ensure that you're breathing, right? But I I wonder even with what you're saying, Patrick, because for, for many people, they don't choose. They perhaps find themselves within a certain direction. It's almost as though they discover the, the music they play before they've had a chance to decide about it. So the inquiry of purpose is important and interesting here but could lead us in a variety of different directions. What, what are some other, other entries here, other thoughts about steel? I think one of the things that we're pressing back toward is the aspect of discovery, because the discovery part of it is looking at these two parts. So you have the part that is the what you are, and then you also have the part of the what to do with it. You know, it so it's like how to apply it, how to use it. And as you go through the discovery process of what you are or what's possible, what the pieces can be, it's like it bounces back and forth with 
helping to both define and helping to support. And then it goes back and forth with what you can then do with it. And then so you do that piece and you see that there's limitation or you see that there's extra benefit, then you have a choice there to go one direction, go another direction, see that you want to build something else. Or It's almost like those are two parts and they're they're on equal footing, rocking back and forth, but it's almost like you look at it from something higher and, and it's an echo chamber where the two pieces are combining into a more useful picture because there's always the growth of what you are and what's possible, but then there's always the decision of what you do with it. And so it seems that it's it's multiple parts going on at one time. You're proposing that not only are we a multiplicity within the orchestra, but that really we are two orchestra in one. One orchestra is the robotic orchestra that runs on autopilot, and the other is perhaps the upper chamber orchestra. Sometimes you have the choirs, right, on top of the, the higher. So you, you could use that metaphor from Kiriaki in the way you were painting the orchestra before, and, and perhaps that other upper orchestra is the one that's to do with your choice functions, consciousness functions, mindfulness functions, what it is that you bring focus and attention and value and significance for, and that when we look at a human, we really are looking at these two orchestras, and when they work together in harmony, they both enhance each other. So when you're in great well-being and vitality, energy-wise, physiologically, biologically, and and every other aspect, you allow, you free up your creative, mental reach to compose, engage with greater, more complex pieces of whatever it is you are creating. And when the intentional part of you works well, it imparts well-being back to your foundational orchestra. That, that is, I suppose, one way to describe the two parts you are painting. Somebody made a comment the other day at work where, a project was having to hit the field too fast. And they said, this is like building the boat while you're trying to sail it. And I think that's really where we find ourselves a lot in human life is that all those pieces that go on, you know, we're, we're trying to assemble it while we're trying to live it, while we're trying to, you know, to, to reach better aspects of our life with it. So I think what you're saying is, is a really good description, but it, it feels sometimes like, there's so much in the picture that we have to work with that you can get lost easy. So I'm interested, uh, well, first, is there anybody else that wants to come on this? And while you think, I'm interested that we bring into it a little bit of the practical awareness because, well, just for example, no relationship, absolutely no relationship can stand the test of time if we fail to realize that we are reach a symphonic arrangement because we will run so quickly into so many difficulties and problems unless we see the other person as a composite of many parts. And we truly cannot, I mean, can we? Can we truly appreciate love and joy without experiencing grief and pain? And the two come together. They're part of the story of life. So both in, in the interior sense, but also in our relationships, unless we begin to see each other as not one thing, but many things, we quickly run into troubles. I find that the, the subject matter we're, we're dancing within 
both perceptive, but it's challenging. There's a challenge inside of this to understand what's possible. I'm given, I think there's a couple myopics that the human deals with. One is just the economy in the world that we live in. It presses us to be one thing in the world. And on the other hand, there's examples like Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo or the Renaissance man. And there's people like that today, multi-skilled, multi-expression. Somehow they've connected to their intelligence, to their creativity. They've got expression. So the human seems to, in special cases, have an incredible array of capabilities. And I'm a champion of that personally. And uh, I think that there's a loss. I think the culture in many ways, unfortunately, for all of its good intentions, it does blunt the human potential. And I'm getting the sense of the direction of this conversation is, well, what might be the orientation of the individual to being able to recognize within themselves the multiple things that they could expand into within themselves? And what a wonderful proposition to be introduced to. And so one of those places that was Aviva was just pointing to is in your relationships with people. And uh, I know sometimes in my house might be the TV's on and there's shoes on the floor and I walk in the room and I go, what the, and my lovely wife will look at me and go, you know, your father just walked in this room because <laughs> I'm acting like my dad and it's unavoidable. And, uh, but then I can put it in check and I have this, so this outside character can reflect back to me, Hey, you're being a bit of that kind of person. And you know, the, the great saying is, do you want to really be that guy? And in that reflection, I have the option to choose what guy I want to be. And when life is frustrating, I have the option to be who I want to be when I'm being frustrated. When I see perhaps someone outside of me could use some help. I have the option of how would I bring that help? And I find life continuously presents an, a multiplicity of offer, op, options for me to choose. But it's just this type of stirring of this conversation now that is the empowering part of it is that you do not need to be stuck in what the world has turned you out to be. You know, you don't need to be stuck in, you know, even who you think you are. You probably are a better dancer. You're probably a better singer. You probably have more creativity than you would give yourself credit for. So I think that's a an opening in that I feel the direction of the conversation going that's very liberating and, and a very, I love calling it over again. So thanks for having yeah. this conversation. Yeah, and, and in your story about the, the father that walked into um, the living room of in your house, you're clearly also indicating that the other way to look at the orchestra that we each are is we are the orchestra of all the people that we interacted with and certainly all the people that influenced us, parents, brothers, sisters, other people that shaped us in our upbringing, teachers and, and so on. And the fulcrum point on your, in, of your story is, do you let that part of the orchestra run on autopilot or do you actually make a choice? Who do you choose to be in, in all these characters? What are some other inroads where you take this awareness that you are an orchestra 
of many parts into the practical side of life of living, first of all, in a, with greater awareness, but then bringing greater efficacy and yeah, presence of mind and, and the capacity to choose because of that in, in every aspect of your life. Please, anybody. It's very interesting. Uh, there are many, many amazing things being said by all of you. Also about the influence of the education in making us believe that we are singular. Whilst only 60 years ago, you know, our grandma, um, my grandmother in the Cypriot village, she knew all the trees. She knew all the animals, how to take care of them. She could cook actually produce, you know, bread and all, all the foods and uh, really had amazing skills and knowledge. And, uh, you know, today and after the Industrial Revolution, we are really all falling in this cult of not trusting our abilities to do. And with the artificial intelligence, you know, coming in our life so strong, This cult is getting dangerous proportions and we must resist, I, I think my view is, not to sing only one song, just rap, let's say. What about singing opera? What about singing, uh, you know, a fado, a Portuguese fado? Or what about singing an, an Irish lullaby or an African uh, beat? And what about the combinations like uh, gypsy swing or... Uh, African hip hop or um, uh, Caribbean waltz, or uh, you know, when Pavarotti was singing together with uh, the U2, or Freddie Mercury with uh, the ethereal voice of Montserrat Caballer. What about these combinations? You know, we're just only be, why only be stuck in one. And I was thinking also about the practicality of why do we have to develop many lines? I think one life can enhance the other life. Let's say our body is tired. So the voice of our body is saying, oh, you know, I'm really tired. But if the voice of our inspiration comes in, or if the power of our vision, or if the fertilization from our passion and love about something comes in, then the stamina, the potency, the strength, It's multiplied. The same with a trauma. Let's say we have a trauma, but then we acquired some wisdom in our life and that can heal this trauma. Or uh, if we have a fear, then our logic or you know, our wish can overcome that fear and we can dare to go out and play and have our say and not be shy. So I was thinking how these lives can have a synergy and can help the one another. Whilst if we think we are only one thing, then it's really, really like, you know, you have a Porsche and you drive it like it's a Volkswagen. What's being said has been making me think of the human range and uh, how we really are not one thing. And uh, let's say as an example, practical example, The person I think mostly that I am hates administration of any kind, loves mm. the arts and movement and cooking and gardens and everything, hates admin. Now, running my own business, I need to do my admin. When I get myself 
to do it, I actually discover there's a life in there that enjoys doing it and does it very well. And uh, what often can be an obstacle, I find anyway, is bridging from my comfort zone or in musical terms, the comfort range of my voice into something else that is completely within human capability that is even in the capability of this individual human, but not just such a well-trodden path. And uh, I know there's one way that I can persuade myself often to cross that bridge is the excitement of widening my range, the deliberately chosen thought that, hang on, I don't want to be narrow. That is actually very, very boring. And that I want to be able to do this and that, all the multiple things that a human can do, some of which I might find very boring. But why not try it just to give that capability some chance? You know, neurologically, it's known that synapses that don't get used uh, wither. And I read many years ago about this marvelous uh, scientific experiment they did, I think, with very aged nuns, I think, somewhere. I can't remember which country, it doesn't matter. But there were very nuns, some of whom were in their 80s, in their 90s. Those of the nuns, they were all exposed to the same circumstance. They all lived in the same nunnery. But those who were either keeping active by learning to play a new instrument or learning a new language did not get dementia. Whereas those who, by analogy, played the same song every day, who did not extend their range into later life, were far more likely to go into ill health, both physically and mentally. So in terms of evidence, would that be more evidence about us not being one thing? Yes, if you are a piano with seven octaves, why play just one? Yes, beautiful. Please, John. Rita, you, you struck an interesting note, pun intended, in me about um, the, uh, what was it? You don't, your feelings about doing a number crunching. And one of the things about being a multiplicity inside of multiple multiplicities is that I think that people tend to, I can see it myself, cherry pick out of the multiplicity the bits that we like. So if we take up, I know this in my own business as well, is there's there's aspects that um, I had to actually build an assembly for. I didn't really find myself naturally inclined that way. I didn't really even want to do it, but in, in the use the words, it just so goes with the territory. And if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen kind of thing. And so I've learned to kind of, okay, start to embrace some of the lesserly desired aspects because the logic, it seems, in the universe is you got wholeness. For example, everything, you know, we breathe the whole air, we eat the whole apple, and some of it gets 
refined used, some of it gets stored, some of it gets expended. And that seems that's a logic in the human in the system. And so, but the way the cherry picking works is it goes against this kind of logic because says, well, I'll have the apple, but I only want red one, or I don't want the skin, or I don't I like the skin, I won't touch the part middle parts. And then so in in a way, curtailing oneself is saying, well, I will only deal in these two tenths of this one billionth, you know, the numbers I'm screwing them up. But you get the idea. 30 trillion. Yes, 30 trillion. Well, mm. and even so in the, in the one of the important reasons, I think, where the learning to actually, what was the words, why is this important, is the A, consider that we're a multiplicity, and B, we're dealing in a multiple thing. And when you take up something, you take it all up, not just the bits that you like. Otherwise, is you're not working according to a natural logic, which is, oh, the whale opens its mouth and everything goes in there. <laughs> and it filters out the krill. It filters the krill and the rest gets expended out. So I see the the logic of why this is important um, consideration. And I know, Aviv, you asked about more like family practices. Was that it? Something like that? I'm coming to ask about practices in a minute, but if you want to lead into anything, please. Well, okay. Just one brief thing is, I know in our family, neither of us have schedules. It's a constant bunch of moving plates. And and so the, the idea is to think, well, who is this? I actually do that. I think, okay, who am I? Who's this today? Or who is this is next hour? Because my wife's job requires, you could say, certain types of biological containment or I'm trying to think of the word for it. It's bioenergetics and sensitivities and capacities of different kind in different aspects yeah. of her job, yes. Yeah, of her job. So, and but one of the things. I've learned this week is that the way I work, if she asks me a question, she'll get everything, the extensions, the addendums, the commentary upon the addendum, the addendum upon the addendum upon the commentary. And really all she wanted was a yes or no. But I take the question, but I take the question as a hey, an open door. But in and what I started to learn is that a yes and no, she didn't need the whole story, you know, just the yes and the no. But and sometimes the whole story is appropriate. So I think the way I'm starting to learn is, okay, if she's in a particular state or working in a particular domain and ask the question, I can, I'm starting to feel, yes, that's a yes or no. That's all. I don't need to go into the commentary on the commentary on the commentary. It's just one thing. And if I'm focused on something and she starts to address me, I say, I can't right now. Because what I realize is, is that when a person is in something, there's the whole thing. And if you make an inquiry onto just one little piece of it, you can't just do that because that person is actually sees that one little piece inside of a whole context. And then either A, you receive this dump of stuff, you have TMI as in too much information. Or it causes a freeze up. 
because the contradiction is there's a contradiction there and you can't just sort of say one thing about a multiplicity. I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but. Well, sometime in the orchestral pieces, there are parts that don't need to make sense. They need to uh, create a feeling and an experience. And you, you've certainly transferred the experience of that exchange with your uh, wife. Yeah. yeah, no. Well, but okay. Can I just say one more thing and I'll leave it alone? Uh, when I used to play in an orchestra, I would have this part. I was like a, the equivalent of a viola or second violin, which don't get any respect. <laughs> There's so many viola and second violin jokes, almost equivalent of banjo jokes or accordion jokes. And so you get this sheet music, right? And you don't know the song. It's, you have no idea what it is. So all you're going is going plink, count a measure, plink, count a measure, plink, 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 count five measures, lose track. And it, it sounds like crap, really does. And you don't know how it's supposed to sound until you hear the wholeness. When everybody else comes in of their parts and you think, oh, I see now where the plink, plink, count 10 measures, plink fits into the whole picture. But when you just got your bit and you're focused on your bit, trying to, you, you don't see it. So there was just that, something you said promoted that kind of awareness. Well, let me use this to lead us to uh, what may be a concluding segment to which we can still bring as many voices as, as we want. Because all we're doing here today is the idea here is to create a starter exploration, to inspire the idea that... A human is not one thing, but an orchestra, and many things in one. So if we think about it, all the great works of art, all the great works of creativity, of innovation, of leadership, they all expressed this symphonic potential because they're always to do with connecting different parts that were not connected before, which is how they create the unique novel composition that they they bring, whether it's in the arts or whether it's in the sciences or whether it's in innovation or whether it's in philosophy and, and thought in really any, any and every space. So I suppose we are very interested in the, the music. And here I, I use music in the metaphoric sense to represent anything the human can produce. We're very interested in the idea that if, if the human is an orchestra, then what is the music that you choose to play? And I, I want to surprise you here for a minute because this is a live recording and you don't know what I'm going to throw at you next. And I, I want to demonstrate that sometime, actually the pause, the silence, is a necessary part of the music. So I want to ask you a question and, and actually take 20 seconds pause. And we will leave the 20 seconds pause in the recording, so whoever is watching this now will be able to go through the same experience. Because the worry in this day and age where people are watching so many YouTube videos and so on is you begin to worry that we run the risk, the idea of thinking that we are our opinions and the speaking, the talking head and the speaking head, that this is who we are and everything we've attempted to sense into and feel over the last hour and something is, now that's just one facet. There is the more. So I want to ask you about a particular thread that several 
of you voiced, which is the idea of practice. I think Rita started at the beginning and, and others, you, you spoke about, oh, I can choose to practice different parts of me. I can choose to practice different dimensions of my orchestra. I'll ask two questions. You can choose which one is the one you respond to. What is the music you are practicing at this time to be able to play an aspect of it? And what is the human music you are reaching for and yearning for? And I'm going to take 20 seconds for us to dwell with these two facets of the question. If you are an orchestra, which you are, what is the music you're practicing? And what is the music you're yearning for? I think I'd have to say what I'm practicing currently is trying to improve my ability to bring some kind of enhancement to every human dealing that I have. And that requires a whole bundle of things um, from knowledge, experience, um, detection, but wanting to have the interaction of the orchestra that I am with other orchestras produce something that's better than either of the two were separately alone. So that could be healing, it could be comfort, it could be intelligence, it doesn't really matter. But but what I'm trying to practice is my ability to use my orchestra wisely at the point and be able to have that as an aim for the result. Something about desensitizing, I suppose, certain certain reactivities to all the things that my orchestra doesn't really want to play. And yet if I'm too sensitive to it all the time and react to it, then that is what occupies, you know, the personally involved trombone player, the whatever I could come up with more personas and write a little story. So something about really from choice, being less sensitive to the bombardment of the all and everything, and especially those things that I don't really want to give my orchestra to. Um, and I can see in order for me to have the ability to respond to what I do want to want my orchestra, the music that I do want my orchestra to play, which is a lot. It's really not a limited selection by that because it could be new and unknown and amazing. I feel like I need to rein in the all and everything that bombards my system. And I need to take responsibility in that moment. I can't just be upset with what uh, bombards me. <laughs> Tried it for many years. It doesn't uh, somehow lead very far. Um, so something to do with that, the practice of desensitizing, even though it's such a great thing to be sensitive, yet can I please choose what I'm sensitive to? And I hear inside what you're describing also the practice of centering, because it's when you center, when you're centered in yourself that you're able to access more of a clear choice. Is that a fair yeah, yeah, I think it, it's a funny one. I hear it in that way. It almost sounds like a different language. But yeah, definitely, I think the greater clarity I have in me of why I wish to come to a certain moment with 
my full orchestra available, then I will be less affected by whether someone smiles at the door or or whatever, because, you know, (laughs) because I will know why I'm there. And so I think that will also in that moment make it easier for me to put aside perhaps what I have brought sort of very upfront in me, in a way, the great freedom that comes from realizing that we are many things and we can be free-range humans is that I might identify myself as, oh, I'm extrovert or I'm introvert. And knowing I can bring both things according to what's needed is a great freedom instead of just like limiting myself to one particular way of perhaps going on. So, so yeah, I think the more I know why I wish to engage in any situation in my life, it does provide a different stability and ability to then actually hear what I want to respond to, what I want to give further orchestration and sound to. So for practice and then vision, uh, I'll just float two quick concepts that help to encapsulate it. One is the evidence is that human is evolving, meaning we kind of started in one state and hopefully are on an improving and refining trajectory. I believe that's the case for the human race and for the individual also. And therein lies one of the points, which is not getting stuck in the past. So one of my practices is is the encouragement of new discovery of who and what I could be. And it's kind of like a call over in the morning, trying to create a small space that maybe I'll be the biggest surprise to me today. And it's a useful thing to do. The second is in, the, in regards to a, a future vision of what or what's possible. And the little story of, around that is great composers have often spoken or inventors have spoken about a concept arriving to them almost complete in a sense. So it might be an invention or it could be a score of music. And I think that in the vision of what I could or may become, I am open for kind of a whole new picture to be able to drop in of capability and possibility and so that's my practice is to make the space and on the second hand to be aware of what might be presenting itself to fill that space which represents the future me that could surprise me in terms of practice what i focus uh, recently is basically practice so the rehearsal aspect the aspect of uh, growing disciplines repetitive habits that will sustain what I want to do, what I want to be. So it's a journey from also in relation to what Patrick asked before of how do you choose what you love. So it's a journey from choosing what you love to loving what you do. Because when you practice, you discover that uh, you can, maybe you love this. So it's a reverse but you need to practice. So this is the one thing. The other thing is uh, how to be of service, let's say, to new intelligences or things that want to appear in terms of art, uh, in terms of uh, feeling, 
in terms of a meeting point. And the last uh, training is in relation to other humans and maybe also in relation with the planet, but uh, let's say specifically with other humans is a practice that I do to not always I manage, of course, but I try. My intention is that I see what is the light in the other person and all the other things, the decorations, including the gender, including age, including nationality, what is shining, and really to be able to dance relation with this light that is coming from the other person. And uh, this is something that I am practicing. But this particular music, I'm finding myself practicing out of necessity. It's a bit like someone's thrown a score on my lap. I didn't ask for it, but there it is. And uh, I would describe it as practicing the music of neutrality. And I mean it in a very particular way just at this time. I found myself becoming quite allergic to my own psychological reactions to life, whether it's other people, someone says something, does something, I read something in the news, something that I need to do that I don't like doing, whatever it is. It's like having become hypersensitive to the amount of noise it creates. And the way I'm practicing that particular score or trying to, which feels very, very early learning stages, is to not try to stop the noise because that only creates more noise, but to observe it, observe, acknowledge the fact that it's going on, try to quite softly shrink my own importance in it, not to grow it in the way of, oh, I am feeling so furious because such and such said so and so, <laughs> or vice versa. But just acknowledge that's what it feels like. Now, what in me allowed it to make so much noise? Can I do anything to just facilitate its way out of my system? So there's much more in it for recognizing the nature of interference and why do I not want to give myself to it? So, but just not to make it too long. That's that's a territory. That's the score. And it's probably a lifetime or many lifetimes <laughs> of... Um, of training. And if I may very briefly answer the other question as well, the kind of music that I'm longing to hear is symphonic in its nature. It's symphonic and harmonic and multiple and versatile. And it concerns not just myself, entire human race and how the human race perceives themselves in a bigger picture. But what is alive in me about the word symphonic is in a symphony, you have multiple components. Everything has a place. There are causes and everything's purposeful. And when it's time for another instrument to come in, there's a space for it to do so. When there's harmonies between instruments, there's a space for it to happen. So in, in whichever field, whichever way, that's the music that I long to hear. So 
I guess current practice, trying to look at current music, but practice is one way of looking at it is how to be actually conscious for real in the moment. And by that, I mean, I was trying to come at the same thing that Rita mentioned is how, do, how can I be neutral? And by that, I mean, you know, we're all creatures of habit. And I have a lot of really bad habits, most of them mental habits. And where that shows up is how I make decisions. If I'm facing a new situation, I'm trying to do something. I find that past failures or successes always kind of creep in. And sometimes I steer away from something because I was never good at it in the past, but I really want to do it. And I'm just finding that with me, a lot of my past, especially mental attitudes and weird psychologies about things, if I'm not careful, they will come up and they will limit what I really want to do right now today in my life. And so I want to become unstuck from the past and be sort of neutral in the moments and actually learn how to trust my orchestra, if that makes sense. So trust that whatever is going to be needed in the moment, I can do. Doesn't matter what happened in the past, good or bad, whatever's happening in the moment needs me and I need to be focused and aware and conscious. And part of that too is in this, knowing that I'm a creature of habit and I have a lot of bad habits, is I really would like to become, what I really want to stretch to, is becoming very comfortable with dealing with the unknown. So that, you know, I really want to be able to kind of sense and feel what might be happening today with my life, on the planet, with the universe, with God, all of that big stuff. And I was thinking that, great, I'm really open. So if God came to me today, I'd say, hey, that's great. Here are my conditions. Can you meet all of my conditions for me to help you do whatever you want to do? And so I don't want that. I want to be able to face the unknown when it comes in with the confidence that whatever it is in me, in this orchestra, this sort of, you know, God-given orchestra, I'll be able to do. And so that's kind of what I'm reaching to, (laughs) if that makes sense. Absolutely, indeed. I wonder if there is one more voice before we are bringing this to lending. Yeah, okay. To the first question, without opening up a whole thing, it would be learning to demarcate where I end and something else begins. Regarding this second part, it's the the yearning is for special feelings. Because I think the way life happens in the world for us is that like you said earlier somebody said about bulk commodity and you could say the kind of reductionist of life to an economic unit useful for a certain amount of time and then disposed of or the curtailment of possibility that human life experiences myself included it prevents i think certain kinds of feelings and it's the feeling and these types of feelings are the ones of mystery awe value appreciation glory of everything it's very hard for me to actually express it but it's just like this appreciation of the wonder of it all yes that's that kind those kind of feelings i feel the world could do a lot more of and certainly individually 
I understand, as we are told when we get on a plane, when those masks drop, put your zone on first, then help somebody next to you. Otherwise, you'll have two unconscious people. Well, I want to thank you all for embarking on this experiment. We brought here today our own individual orchestras to convene an ad hoc contemplative orchestra that explored the significance of this idea that the human is an orchestra. And there are many starters in this exploration, and we'll just leave them the way they are in the raw nature of a human orchestra on a journey of discovery of what's it all about. And if you watch this and you find it interesting, you can get involved yourself by becoming active participant in portals of perception, by leaving your email, by staying in touch. We look forward to seeing you on one of our upcoming conversations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Portals of Perception. If you're enjoying these dialogues, we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash portals. Visit portalsofperception.org for exclusive content. Please share this episode with a friend and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. 